Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, this is a great time of year to determine just those things mentioned there in the opener. If you need a complete overhaul, if you just need a tune-up, Hey, now is the time to do it. We're at the beginning of another great year. Always a time to take a fresh look. What am I doing? Where am I going? How am I going to get there? So we're going to be talking about that in this edition of 48 Days Online Radio. We're going to be giving away some products. If I use one of your questions and your question lends itself to uh, one of the products that we've got at 48 Days, be happy to send you out a copy of something. So we'll be doing that. We're going to be talking about some new events that we've got scheduled coming up here. I want to encourage you to get involved in 48days.net. Now, there's no cost to be involved there. So it's not like, gee, you sign up so I can make some money. It's not that at all. But that is just a phenomenal group of people, now over 10,000, almost 11,000 people strong, who are like-minded people who are saying, you know what? I know that I can, in fact, find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. We always add that in there. I always add that in, you know, because a lot of people still are living under the myth that if I really do something that I enjoy, then I have to give up ever making any money. If I do what I really love to do, well, then the kids are going to have to learn to live on rice and beans. Well, it doesn't happen that way. It usually happens the other way around. Do something that you really love and money will show up in unexpected ways. We're going to be telling you about some of the ways that can be true for you. This is Dan Miller. 48 Days comes from the title of a book I wrote a few years ago, 48 Days to the Work You Love, where I lay out the principles for looking at yourself first and from that creating a clear focus and then, in fact, going to find or create the work that you love. So each week we take a few minutes here to scan through some of the questions submitted by you, the listeners, pick out some of the more interesting ones, and we'll be sharing those in ways that not answer the question just for that listener, but for us as well. You know, when I look through things and I find questions that stimulate my interest, doing a little research, answering that helps me as well, kind of unpack it in a new way in my own life. Got a quotation here we're going to start with today. Quotation comes from Edith Pierce, who says, we will open the book. Its pages are blank. We are going to put words in them ourselves. The book is called Opportunity, and the first chapter is New Year's Day. So here we are in the first week of the new year, 2012. So you're already writing in the pages of your Opportunity book. What's that look like when you look back? Is that something that people are going to find interesting, that you find exciting to look back? Or is it just kind of boring routine? Well, got up, went to the job, came home, drank a beer, watched a little TV and went to bed. Well, make sure that the book that is being written about your life is exciting. It's something that excites you. If it's not, and of course, what I recommend always is that you write the book essentially in advance, create the script for the book that you want to live out rather than feeling just victimized or pulled along by the events of everyday circumstances. Well, here's some of the things we're going to be looking at today. Dan, can I teach someone else's system of time management? Dan, I'm a locally, I'm a lowly mail clerk by day and a lowly pizza deliverer by night. 
get my words twisted up just trying to say those lowly things there. Well, if you consider them to be lowly, they probably aren't going to give you the sense of fulfillment that you're looking for. Dan, how is selling different for the person of personality, different personality types? Could you share a little bit about your background and your connection to the Amish? I wrote about that this week, had a lot of questions. I'll address some of those questions about that part in my own background and what we can learn from that. What kind of role do you see spirituality playing in having a fruitful, rewarding career? Dan, what are some common mistakes people make career-wise? Well, if you've got a question you'd like to have included here, you can go to the 48days.com site. Click on the podcast link there. You'll see a little box jump up there and you can submit your question there. Be happy to address that for inclusion in an upcoming show. Well, Noah from Indiana says, Dan, I love the podcast and 48days.net. My question is about copyright laws and ethics. I'd like to expand the model of psychology I learned about in my undergraduate studies. I'd like to use the trans theoretical model, TTM, model of change and develop eBooks, podcasts, seminars, and a website devoted to this idea. Am I allowed to do this if I change the main concept words or do I need to scrap this plan entirely? I notice how Dave Ramsey's plan is almost a mirror image of the crown money system, except the names are changed from money map destinations to baby steps. Is it okay to do this? Do I need to contact the creator of the TTM? Is, is it lazy or repackaging? Thanks for all you do, Noah. Well, it's a great question. You know, the, these gray areas when it comes to trademark and copyright uh, often are just that they're gray, but really you probably have more liberty, more latitude than what you might expect. Now with what you're talking about here, the trans theoretical model of change, I mean, that really is the, the reason it uses the term trans theoretical is because it pulls from multiple other theories. So it's not something just new and original. It pulls from a lot of other theories. So it's kind of a compilation. And I, I don't think that term is even trademarked. It's just a concept. So it's a, it's a teaching theory. So in that regard, yeah, you can teach that. I mean, I can teach the Sigmund Freud theory of psychology or the Carl Rogers theory of unconditional positive regard. I mean, many people have done that. You can create a business around doing just that. If I want to teach the Dale Carnegie principles as the core message for my business, I can do that. What I cannot do is to reprint the book, how to win friends and influence people. I can't reprint the book. I can't take pages out of there and put them in material that I'm creating. So that's a copyright issue. Conceptually, you can teach the principles of trans theoretical model all day long. What you can't do is just take what somebody else has written about that and pull that and put it into materials of your own and then sell it and make money on it. I mean, that is a copyright issue, no matter what it is that you're talking about. But again, I can teach uh, Tony Robbins systems, or I can teach the Stephen Covey system on seven habits of highly effective people. I can teach the Jim Collins materials on his principles for built to last, how to build great organizations. As a matter of fact, I do that a lot. I can, I, I use Jim Collins system for creating meaningful work where I, I talk about the three legs of the stool. What are you passionate about? What are you competent in doing? And then what is your economic model? 
mean, that's very much a Jim Collins thing. I talk about that a lot and I acknowledge where that came from and, and that's perfectly fine. So you can use the model as long as you don't just copy what somebody else has written about it, but move forward with that. You know, you're talking about two different things here. Uh, you can certainly use the concept. Just don't use word for word anything that somebody else has already printed. Otherwise, you are in copyright infringement area. Incidentally, no, I noticed that you are at St. Mary of the Woods in Indiana. I just think that's got to be the coolest name for a, a college ever. St. Mary of the Woods. I mean, it just sounds like someplace you'd want to come and hang out. And I trust that that it is. I know it's a, a small Catholic women's college. Um, and, uh, I love those kind of places. I've got the opportunity lined up here in the, the upcoming weeks to go to a, a couple small schools. Um, one is going to be Catawba college. Again, one that's kind of the same size as what St. Mary of the woods is, but I love going to places like that where we kind of brainstorm, lay out the principles for the changing work dynamics if you're part of a, a small school like that, and I'd love to come and talk to your school as well. But yeah, just to go through the principles of the changing work models today and to unpack how to see the advantages, how to take advantage of the new opportunities that are out there. Going to be doing some things relative to the new book I got coming out with my son, Wisdom Meets Passion, where we talk about wisdom and passion are key ingredients for fulfilling work and a fulfilling life. And those need to be present no matter where you are in the age continuum. So whether you're 18 or 88, you need to have both wisdom and passion. Those are not things where you start out with passion and then you slowly move toward wisdom. Nah, if you are old and wise, but don't have passion, you're a pretty pathetic piece of work. And at the same time, if you're young and have nothing but raw passion, it's probably going to be misdirected and get you in trouble. Need some wisdom there as well. Well, Shane from Fort Worth, Texas says, Dan, I'm 36, married with four children, and I'm working two jobs right now. I'm a lowly male clerk by day and a lowly pizza deliverer by night. I'm not making enough to pay our bills between the two jobs. We have no savings at all. I have a 10 year old bachelor's degree that I never used. My wife thinks I should be able to get a $50,000 a year job because I have a degree, but I tell her all they care about is my experience. I tried multi-level marketing companies unsuccessfully. I have a couple of websites making pennies that I don't have time or money to work on. The only way to advance in my day job would be as a supervisor in the mail system. But as an introvert, I don't think that is for me. What should I do to be able to support my family? Thanks, Shane. Well, Shane, thanks for your transparency here and for the questions that you addressed. What you need to look at is what is it that you could do that would provide more value? See, really in looking at where you are, the question is how easy are you to replace? If someone else could be paid $12 an hour to do what you do, then that defines what your value is right now. I mean, the reason brain surgeons are paid so much is because there aren't a whole lot of other people who could just step in and do what they do. But I've worked with people who have done unique things, even if it's not something that requires a PhD or years and years of experience. I mean, I had a guy a couple of years ago who had kind of a green thumb for lack of a better way to frame it. He just, he could grow things well and people admired his yard. 
Well, his in-laws happen to live on a farm, have some property that's not really being used for anything. So we mapped out a plan for him to grow Laroape. Now that's monkey grass. So we're talking about a very unsophisticated plant. It's very common. It populates really readily. It um, grows and grows and grows. It's almost like a weed, but you know, people put it in as borders that we've got a lot of it around here as borders to some of our trails. I'm probably going to use that as to create the path through a labyrinth that we're creating here in our property, but we have it around sidewalks. And this young man was going to go off and just grow monkey grass and then wholesale it to both individuals and to nurseries. I mean, that's a great idea. It's just something unique, something that not everybody else is doing. That's what you have to look for. I mean, just this week, Joanna and I were in Richmond, Virginia, and I got a call on my cell phone from my lawn care guy. And he said he was at an auction over in Jackson, Tennessee. And he said, they've got these, this big pile of really cool cedar beams that came out of an old post office that was torn down. That was built way back in the 1800s and they're three by eight solid cedar beams, 20 and 30 feet long. And he knows that I'm interested that I want to put up a new carport here on my property. I've talked with him about that. And, you know, I'm very open about new projects that I've got going on. I want a carport, but I don't want something that's just, it looks like it came out of a catalog somewhere and they just stuck it up. I want something really that has character. He knows the kind of things we've done already in our property. So he called me about that and we had a five minute conversation. I said, man, just go ahead and buy them. So he did. He bought them, brought them back here, delivered them. We've got them stacked out here in my barn now. So as soon as the weather breaks here in the spring a little bit, we'll work together on building a carport. Now, how likely am I to go find another lawn maintenance guy when I have somebody who keeps an eye open for those kind of things and connects me with, you know, really cool things like that? I mean, it's not going to happen. So he's not just somebody who mows the grass. He brings me a lot of unique value because he says, Hey Dan, what do you think about this? Dan, what if we did this? I mean, I love the way that he brings creative ideas to the table. That's what you have to look for. What could you do that has unique value? Now you are in the mail service. So you may know shipping and delivery. I mean, could you be one of these independent FedEx guys where you have your own truck, but they you know, guarantee you the work. All you do is just deliver it, but it's pretty open-ended income wise, what you could do. I mean, making $50,000 a year is not a function of what degree you have. Trust me. Now you already know that. It's a function of what level of responsibility and what value you bring to an organization. Get feedback from other people who know you well. Make a list of 20 things you could do, including jobs you could get and also things you could do more independently. Now, you've already said that you're an introvert and you may think that that closes the door for you doing anything on your own or doing anything entrepreneurial. No, it does not. It just needs to fit you. So, Make it a goal here in January to come up with 20 ideas for things you could do. Could you get another job? Now you haven't even said what your degree is in. And I assume it, it didn't line you up to be an attorney or a dentist or something like that. So if it's a bachelor's degree in English lit or political science, it probably doesn't have any real direct application to what you would do work-wise anyway. But now don't say that you haven't been using it. If you got a degree it is part of who you are today. 
that can't be taken away. I mean, there are two reasons for getting degrees. One is so you get a piece of paper to hang on your wall. So somebody will give you a job. The other is for the personal growth and learning that takes place. Now, if you get a degree only for the piece of paper, hoping somebody will give you a $50,000 a year job, you're likely to be disappointed. But if you get it, recognizing that the ongoing process of learning is something that is changing who you are, something that can never be taken away, then it has value. And trust me, you're using it in some way, even if you are, don't have a job that is based on that degree. When I got my master's degree in, in psychology eons ago, uh, we went to Southern California. I took a position in the Center for Human Understanding. How's that for a grandiose title? But I was a therapist in the Center for Human Understanding. Well, I figured out pretty quickly, I mean, like in three months, that I didn't enjoy that. It was boring. It moved too slowly. And I thought, if I stick around here, I'm going to go nuts myself trying to help these people figure out you know, the little social problems that they have in their lives. Anyway, I, I don't mean to trivialize that process. We need good counselors. I just am not one because I'm way too impatient with getting to solutions and having people make changes in their lives. So I got out of that, went to work with a buddy of mine, uh, just on a commission kind of basis. He had a car lot in Anaheim, California, and I started selling cars. Absolutely loved it. I've always had a, an affinity for cars, you know, built my first street rod when I was just a kid, a 31 Ford with a Chrysler Hemi engine in it. You know, I love being around cars. So it was a great fit for me and I just absolutely thrived. So here I am selling used cars with a master's degree in clinical psychology. Now, anybody looking in from the outside would think, well, my gosh, why'd you spend all that time in school when now you're not using your degree? I mean, I can hear some of that going through your, your minds as you listen to this. Is that in fact true? There was one family as an example that came in. We had a lot of Hispanic families in the community there in Anaheim, which has increased dramatically since then. But we, even then we did back in the seventies, had a young man come in. I had developed a relationship with a lady who lived right next door to the car lot. Her name was Carmen Espinosa. And so she interpreted for me. So I would sell to people who spoke Spanish, which I did not. And Carmen would interpret for me because of the trusting relationship developed through Carmen to me from this young man. In the first year I sold, when you include his brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, moms, dads, cousins, 14 cars to that one extended family in the, in one year alone. Now you tell me, do you think that I used anything that I might've learned in my bachelor's and master's degrees in clinical psychology in terms of listening? Well, communicating, making the other person feel understood. I mean, is there anything that might've transferred over? Well, my gosh, there certainly is. I mean, I, I would never say that I put my degrees on the shelf during those years, everything I've done since used the education, the learning, the knowledge that I got in getting the advanced degrees that I have, even though I've never done anything that specifically pigeonholed me as a psychologist or a therapist. So don't underestimate the value, the impact of having your college degree, even if you're not in a job currently where you have your diploma hanging over on the corner to make 
sure people know you're qualified to do that job. I mean, that just is not the way that it works anymore. So see this as a, a process of life learning and see it as such. But at any given point, you, know, you have to figure out what is it that you do that has unique value? What is it that you do that can't be done easily by everybody else? And the more you identify that, then the more you're going to see your income go up. Well, you're listening to Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Again, if you've got a question you'd like to submit, just go to the 48days.com link, click on podcast, and you'll see an opportunity there to shoot that into me. Those come to me directly, or you can just shoot a question to ask Dan at 48days.com. Here's a question. You know, incidentally, I'm going to send that last listener, I'm going to send a fresh copy of, uh, let's see, that was to Shane who asked me about the working the two jobs where he's not making enough money. Shane, I'm going to send you a fresh copy of 48 days to the work you love. Got some principles in there. I think if you go through those, you'll be able to take a, a new look at what is it that you do? Well, what is it that you do? Not everybody else is doing. You know, I say that 85% of the process of having the confidence of proper direction in our career comes from looking inward first. It's not from looking at who's hiring, where the opportunities are, what the hottest franchises are. Nah, those come later. The first thing is to look inward 85% of the process. What is it that you do that has unique value? What are your skills and abilities? What are your personality tendencies? What are your values, dreams, and passions? From having a clear understanding of all of those things, then you create a clear focus and then and only then are you ready to create a resume if that's appropriate and to look for work that embraces what you know about yourself. I mean, so often we get the cart before the horse where we look for work and then make our life work around that. No, look at your life, the life you want, who you are, how God has uniquely gifted you first, then find work that embraces that. Well, this comes from Rob in California. Dan, Happy New Year. I had a new book idea for you. I think it would do really well. A book about different marketing techniques geared toward the different personality types. I would pay for this, but for now, could you give us a sneak preview? How would you suggest a person contact a business to offer a service to them, specifically a restaurant owner? I'm not sure cold calling would work and it doesn't fit my personality. What would you suggest? All right, let's do a quick primer here in selling styles. And incidentally, we all sell. If you tell me that you hate selling, you never want to do selling of any kind, you've just lowered yourself on the economic scale dramatically. And in terms of the kind of work that you're going to be able to do, because how do you get a job that is a $50,000 a year job as an example? Well, you're going to have a lot of competition for that kind of position, obviously. So how do you get to be the top candidate? You have to sell yourself. I mean, don't underestimate the importance of selling and don't try to talk yourself into never selling. You never want to do that. You just see that as some sleazy guy who shows up late at night, and knocks on your door. You don't want to be that guy. Well, you don't have to be that guy, but trust me, you have to sell. You have to sell the value of what you're doing. You have to do that if you're a school teacher, if you're a mom, if you're a pastor, I mean, if you're a UPS driver, I don't care what it is you're doing. You need to sell the value of what you do and you need to sell that every day. So the more you understand then how you 
sell well personally, then the more effective you can be. Now, does that mean that you need to be the blue suede shoe guy that goes out here and knocks on doors or that comes waltzing up to you when you go walk under the used car lot? No, you don't need to be that if that's not a fit for you and your personality. But let's use the disc model just as a quick overview for selling styles. Now, we use the disc a lot. A lot of you have taken the 48 Days Profile. If you haven't, I encourage you to go check it out. There are samples there, and uh, we have thousands and thousands of people who take that every month to help them get a better grasp on what it is they would be a candidate for because it helps you understand not only your personality, but then also what kind of work would be a fit based on your personality. And that's where people get into trouble when they try to do work that is not a fit for them. So check it out. The 48 days profile, just go to our product section. You'll see it there. If you're not familiar with it, those profiles use the terminology disc D I S and C and those stand for dominance influencing steadiness and compliance. So somebody who's dominant is real outgoing, bold, daring, aggressive, opinionated, boom, boom, boom. We all get the picture of, you know, the Donald Trump kind of person with that may come to mind. I, somebody who's very outgoing, very social, very gregarious, backslapper, breaks the silence in the elevator. Okay. That kind of person S somebody who's steady, somebody who's loyal, dependable, more behind the scenes, Man, this is the kind of person you want on their team. They're a good listener. They're nurturing, encouraging. That's a high S. And then the high C, somebody who's really good with detail. Somebody who can recognize, man, here's a fatal flaw in this plan. It's not going to work because of this. Somebody who may be good with financial numbers. Somebody who's a good architect, draftsman, accountant, engineer. I mean, we would all expect them to be high in the C characteristics. All right, now let's jump to selling. How are those people going to sell? Somebody who is high D, somebody who's very comfortable with confrontation, walk up to a stranger, no problem. They could do well selling cars, furniture, jewelry, real estate. I mean, selling cars, somebody walks into the lot, you may have 10 minutes with that person, never to be seen again. You either need to sell them something, then they walk off the lot, chances are really high, they're never going to come back again. So that may require a kind of selling that would seem to be more high pressure than what you're comfortable with. But if somebody's a high D, they don't mind. They love that kind of interaction. So you could do those kind of things if you have that kind of outgoing personality. If you're introverted and shy, that kind of selling is going to give you nausea. It's going to turn your stomach inside out. Don't try to do it. Find the right match. Now let's go to I, somebody who's high I. Somebody who's very outgoing, a cheerleader, talks to anybody, loves social situations, loves going to a party with 40 new people. What kind of selling could you do? My goodness, let's make you the representative for Adidas shoes. Now, what you're going to do is you're going to go out and you're going to talk to 23 shoe store managers this week. Now, guess what? It's the same shoe store managers you talked to last week, same ones you'll see next week. You know when they're going on vacation and how big the fish is they call last year and when their kids' birthdays are. You know, you get involved with them. It's a relationship-oriented selling. You're very connected with them, and your selling comes as a result of having great relationship skills. Pierce Mars, who's part of the 48days.network, has a group titled Relationship Sales. And it's a great overview of not only that kind of selling, but the other kind I'm describing as well. If you're in selling and want to get better, I encourage you to check out that group. 
and get involved there with Pierce and the other people involved in that selling group. Now, if you're a high S, so you're, you like to keep things pretty organized. You like to keep things the way they are. You like to really understand systems and operations and methods. Well, you may be a great candidate for selling a $100,000 printing press to printing companies. Now, that's not the kind of thing where you go out and stand on the street corner and have a hundred people that come by and they're all prospects. No, you're going to have a very few number of prospects. So you may have a very high priced product and very few prospects, or you may be selling an MRI machine. So you contact the purchasing agents or the chief financial officers of hospitals out here. You talk to them. They take 18 months to make a very expensive decision. You as a high S personality could do that very well. All right. The only thing we got left is C high C you're very good with numbers. You're very analytical. You can really lay out a plan, a method of operation really, really clearly. You are introverted. You don't like to have direct contact with people. You hate asking people for the sale. Can you sell? Absolutely. Yes. You can knock it out of the park and make a quarter of a million dollars a year. Now, let me give you a couple examples. You know, on Sunday, when you get the paper, there's always a little insert in there. It's sometimes called a profile or the USA Today section. You go through the back of that and here's a, here's a bird feeder. All right. There's a bird feeder in there. It's 1995, but boy, this thing will attract cardinals and songbirds like nothing you ever saw before. What kind of person is behind the scenes in putting together that kind of a marketing campaign? Chances are it's a high S a high D nah, they don't have the patience for that. They want to shake your hand, ask you, you want this or don't you next? What has to happen when you're selling bird feeders in the, in a magazine like that you test. So you may test a particular kind of style, a particular wording for describing it and different price points. You may have that same bird feeder, you advertise it at $9.95, $19.95, and $29.95. So you run tests in different regions, in different magazines and newspapers, and see where you get the best results. It's a very methodical approach to selling. You learn how to do that well, and trust me, you can make a quarter of a million dollars in that kind of selling, and you can do it where you never see or talk to a customer. It's very systems-based. Now, if you look at even what we're doing at 48days.com, when you look at what we're doing there, I mean, we sell a lot. In the period of time you've been listening to me talking, no matter what length of time that's been, we've had a whole lot of people that have gone to that site and purchased things. I didn't talk to them. I didn't pick up the phone to call them. I didn't go knock on the door. I didn't go to their place of business. It's simply systems. And I use a lot of other things then, like this podcast and newsletter, and blogging and speaking and coaching live events that drive traffic to our websites where then those people go ahead and make purchases because they've already built trust and rapport. They trust who we are. They know enough about us. They go there and find things to help them on their own path. So it's, it's very much a system. I mean, I don't pick up the phone to sell anything. I don't go knocking on doors. Now it's kind of ironic because I don't mind doing that. I am a high D and I don't mind. In fact, I kind of enjoy the thrill of doing that. 
But as we've grown, I've moved away from doing that because there are some limitations to how many doors I can knock on during the course of a day. And by using systems effectively, we've increased that number exponentially. So when you talk about, gee, you're, you don't like selling or you don't think selling works for you or, or you tried multi-level marketing and you bombed at that, probably it was just simply not a good fit. Now back to Robert's question here, when he says he wants to contact a business, a restaurant owner to offer a service to them, how could you, you could do that in all kinds of different ways. You can just look at how to have a Google shirt search, direct them to you if the search is done by somebody who lives geographically close to you. I mean, it's sophisticated enough. You can do that and you can do that all day long and direct traffic to you just through Google searches where they then initiate contact with you. You can send a flyer. That's still very professional. You can do that. You can have a, a, some kind of a marketing service, do a phone call for you, or you can walk in the front door. Now, again, keep in mind when you're selling, selling in its purest form is simply sharing enthusiasm. Selling is not tricking somebody or conning them or manipulating them into something they don't want or need. I mean, those are, that's the old model of selling. It doesn't work anymore with the rights to unwind any kind of a contract. These days, you don't gain anything by talking and pressuring somebody into something. They'll go home and the next morning they wake up and they'll just cancel the deal anyway. Nobody wins in that. So those days are gone. No, selling is sharing enthusiasm. So you've got to be selling something that you're so excited about. You can't keep quiet. You want your next door neighbor. You want your first cousin to have it. You want everybody you see to have it. If they don't have it, you, you think they're missing out on something. If you in fact are representing, you're selling something like that, then it'll be a whole lot easier for you to talk about it, to walk in somewhere. If you think that you're selling something where if they buy it, you win, you get the money and now they don't have any, you can't, nobody can sell effectively at that. If I'm selling a million dollar yacht and I know that I'm going to get a quarter of a million dollar commission by selling that. If I sell that, it's not like, Oh man, I tricked that guy into it. Now he's a million dollars poor, but at least I got my commission in the bank, you know, so we can go on vacation this year. No, I'm going to be thinking, man, this is the coolest boat I've ever seen in my life. Here's a guy. I know he's got the money. He's got plenty of money. If I show him the benefits of having this boat, he's going to be the envy of all his neighbors. He's going to be able to take his family, his kids and their friends on trips that are going to create memories that last a lifetime. He's going to be able to cruise down through the Caribbean because it's big enough to handle the water out that far. I mean, I'm going to be thinking about all the ways that he's going to benefit if he gets that boat. You ought to be thinking the same kind of things. If you are selling anything, if you have another approach to selling and you aren't comfortable sleeping at night because you help some people enjoy the benefits of purchasing that, then you need to be selling something else. Hey, this is Dave Ramsey, and you're listening to my longtime friend and career coach, Dan Miller, on I Love My Work. Now, back to Dan. If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a house. I would buy you a house. 
See, there you go. You can get all kinds of ideas. What would you do if you had a million dollars? You know, a lot of times people, I find people going into new areas and they're thinking, man, if I could just, you know, make $30,000 or if I could just make another $5,000 a month. My encouragement is, you know, we're here at the beginning of a year. If you're looking at a major change, look at the possibilities for, in fact, having a major change, not just a little tweak in what you're already doing. You know, if you're working for a company and you've been there for a long time and you're negotiating for a raise, you know, companies typically are going to give three to 4% increases. Well, you do the math on where you are. It takes a long time to have a really big increase in what you're making now. But when people go from company to company, all of a sudden, you know, I find people who double their income or triple their income. Now, a lot of what happens in that kind of transition is the person's level of belief. If you think that you are a $50,000 a year person, you may bypass an opportunity to make a hundred or 150. Now hear me out on this. I see this happen all the time. People have a sense of what they deserve. They usually have about a $20,000 window of what they deserve. So if you've been making 50,000, you could see yourself making 30. If you had to just tighten your belt a little bit and you can see yourself making 70. If things were really, the stars were aligned perfectly, but you have a hard time seeing yourself making $180,000. Why is that? Is there really that much significant difference in what you're doing and what the dude down the street is doing? Who's making 180? Probably not. And if you get into something that is really open-ended, if in, in my business, let's just take my business as an example. So I started coaching. Well, in coaching people personally, there are only so many hours in the day, so many days in the week. So there's a, a natural ceiling to what could be accomplished. Even if I raise my fees, there's still all those logistics that are just going to kind of create some parameters that are going to be tough to get out of that. But if I take the principles that I've used effectively in coaching and put those into an instructional manual or into audio products or into a book, let's just come down to the lowest common denominator. Let's say now I've got it in a $20 book. Well, now when somebody purchases that, if they get it through a bookstore, I'm going to make a buck and a half essentially. So it's not a whole lot of money. However, the interesting thing about that is now there is no ceiling to the number of people that could potentially benefit from that book and the number of people who could potentially purchase that book. I like that kind of structure. I like the fact that I am not limited to 10 new people this week, but that in effect I have exposure to everybody in the entire world and all we need is a little bit of tiny percentage of those people to still have it look really interesting on in my end. That's why I've changed from just doing personal coaching to the things that can in fact create residual income. Now that's another big conceptual switch for people often to understand the distinction between linear income and residual income. Linear income, meaning you do something once, you get paid one time. End of story. Residual income, you do something once, you get paid a thousand times or 10,000 times. The things that have a lot of appeal to me at this point is what is it that I could do one time and get paid 10,000 times? That's why 
I prefer to create product rather than do individual coaching or speaking. I still do those things, but that's not where a big emphasis is in terms of our business model. It's strictly in the things. What could I do one time and get paid 10,000 times? So no matter what it is you're doing, you have the potential to look at it in the same way. And I don't care if you're working a $12 an hour job, look at what is that you could do where you would have the potential. It may be some expertise that you've learned while doing that job, where if you put that in a little ebook, what if you had 10,000 people that purchased an ebook of yours at $8 a piece? Would that change where you're going this next year? The opportunities you've got. While you're listening to Dan Miller on the 48 days online radio show, you got a question for me here that you want to include in the upcoming show. I'd be happy to consider that. Just go to the 48 days.com website, click on podcast, and you'll see a little bracket there where you can submit your question. I love reviewing the questions each week. It's a highlight for me each week to sit out and go through the questions that have come in. Lots of you have questions. And I encourage you to keep shooting them in here. Sometimes I feel bad because uh, we can't go through each one. But I think that in pulling questions, as I do, I try to select questions that are pretty representative of what 30 other people have asked as well. Well, here's one. This is a good example of that. Dan, could you share a little bit about your background and your connection to the Amish? Now, I just wrote a blog about you can be Amish. Uh, and uh, got a lot of response on that. And people often ask me about that because it's a very unique kind of subculture in our country. You still see the Amish around certainly places like Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, as well as Virginia and others. But uh, yeah, I was raised with grandparents on both sides who were full blooded Amish. They had horses and buggies and no plumbing, no electricity in their house. Uh, my my grandfather on my mother's side, my maternal grandfather was a house builder, and that created a very interesting scenario at some point that tore the family apart, unfortunately. But he, he was building houses, and so he built a house for their family. He had seven kids, and he, being a builder, built it with plumbing, electricity, and modern features, thought this is going to be great for my family. Well, his wife refused to move into the house. His wife and the seven children never moved into the house and it ultimately created a divorce and a very unhappy chapter in my family's history back there because of that. Now that's a sad situation and um, uh, there's a lot that could be unpacked about that that I won't take time to go into, but certainly I came out of a background where there was tremendous amount of legalism, things you cannot do. So I experienced a lot of that when I was young. My parents decided to become conservative Mennonite. Now that's not really as much a move to being liberal as what you might think. It's a different kind of strain. Perhaps we were still very, very conservative. We did ultimately get electricity, got running water in the house when I was in about the eighth grade. Uh, We did get cars, which was a major thing. So I never grew up with horse and buggy. My I had lots of aunts and uncles and cousins who were still horse and buggy and that made for memorable experiences and visiting them. But uh, my dad did. He liked to have cars. He was a pastor of a little tiny conservative Mennonite church. Our cars were always black. Incidentally, never had another color sitting in the driveway and still the influence of being plain and simple, not getting caught up in flashiness and the, the things that the world offered. 
we never had TV or radio in the house. And I credit that with giving birthing in me a love of books, a love of reading. I still would much rather read a book than watch TV any, any day, any time. And thus I still read voraciously and I am thankful for that, uh, instilling that love of books in me. We did have a radio in the barn. This is a funny thing that, um, occurs where you see people rationalizing some things, even though it seems to violate their legalism, but we, we couldn't have a radio in the barn. That would be just be seen as entertainment, but in, I mean, in the house, but in the barn, we did have a radio because we used that to listen to the weather and being farmers, weather was critically important, but that's kind of my background. So I, I came out of that. Joanne was never part of being in the Mennonite environment. And so since we've been married for years and years and years, uh, we've never been part of a Mennonite church and uh, had a very ecumenical kind of involvement, meaning we've been part of Methodist church and Presbyterian and Southern Baptist and Grace Brethren and Charismatic and Pentecostal. We've had a wonderful, wonderful experience of being part of lots of different churches and embrace the, the varieties that people of ways that people do express and experience their Christianity. Incidentally, I'll send you a copy of No More Mondays for that question, because in there I really do talk about my background being raised Mennonite and how that impacted me and how that opened me up to some of the things that I take advantage of today. From your standpoint, here's somebody else that wrote on the same kind of thing. From your standpoint as a consultant and a business person, why are the Amish businesses doing so well? Now, I love going up to Holmes County, Ohio which is where I still have a brother up there. My dad just lived up there until he died. But that's the highest concentration of Amish in the United States, even more so than Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And I love going up there to Holmes County because it is just packed full of these little micro enterprises. It always amazes me to be driving down a gravel road and I meet a couple of 18 wheelers because I know that somewhere down there, there's a successful business and they're having a delivery or a pickup. I admire the way that the Amish businesses keep overhead low. They start businesses on personal property. And so they don't have the added expense of rent and buildings. They use family members and as employees or apprentices. And they, they really do understand the value of apprentices. They teach somebody a trade while they're young, even if they don't continue in that exact business. And this is not a matter of, you know, teaching somebody blacksmithing. So that's the only skill they're ever, ever going to have. No, that's not how apprenticeships work. If somebody learns the principles about keeping your word with your customers, inventory control, quality products and services, those are principles that are going to go with them forever. And those are life lessons that are often never learned by those who are raised, you know, in, in what they call the, the English cities or English families. So I was raised with that. I was hired out a lot. I used to be hired out like a dollar an an hour with uh, other farmers who needed a a working hand. And of course I went to a lot of barn raisings growing up where we all got together and, you know, all worked together. I mean, the the experiences have coming out of that. I value greatly and have used those same kind of things. I think very effectively in my own business. Those are business principles that I learned, even though I've gotten away from the farm, Lord knows I have no desire to get up at five o'clock in the morning and milk Holstein cows or to throw hay bales in the heat of the summer. But those are still principles that I learned that are applicable to the businesses that I have today. 
So that is the value that I have there. Got a lot of other questions here about, about that particular part of my background. We'll have to save those for another day. Well, I want you to get excited about this being the beginning of a brand new year. I mean, no matter what last year held for you, there's something very exciting and invigorating about beginning a brand new year. And I just, uh, I quoted a, a university professor just recently who said, all beginnings are hopeful. He talked about that back in, uh, during the years of World War II. But, you know, we know that all beginnings are hopeful. Just getting into the beginning of a new year, there's something very refreshing about that. Make this a year that you are going to be excited about looking back on. Make this the year that you really unleash your best skills. And you bring those all together to give you a sense of fulfillment, satisfaction, and accomplishment that you've never experienced before. Hey, this is Dan Miller, your host. Thanks for being part of the 48 Days community. Check out the events coming up at 48days.com and the 48days.net community as you are continuing to find or create work that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable.